0: hello and welcome to another edition of the personal growth book club my name is caleb and i am so pumped that you are here with me this week at the personal growth book club we believe that the fastest way to a better life is through a deeply ingrained success mindset Together each season, we study powerful personal growth and development books, information that has been collected over lifetimes, handed down from generations, and proven to work for millions of people. Not only will you get the opportunity to study these books in depth along with me, but you will be a part of a success-minded community of people just like you. Guys, you do not want to miss this. Let's build the life you've always wanted together. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Personal Growth Book Club. Guys, if if this is your first time listening, I recommend starting from the beginning. We are reading Napoleon's Think and Grow Rich, and I am specifically reading the 1963 edition for no particular reason except that this was the version of the book that was given to me. If this is your first time joining us, Get yourself an accountability partner to read with. I believe that you're 100 times more likely to follow through and stay disciplined in reading the book and taking action if you're helped by somebody to help keep you accountable. If you're interested in joining the Personal Growth Book Club community, you can find us on Telegram. That's t.me pgbclub I've also started pages on both Parlor and Locals.com. I've got to do some work to get those updated, but if you guys want to get joined and all set up there in the meantime, that would be awesome. Last week, we discussed the chapter on imagination, which is the fifth step toward riches. Now, there are just a couple of action items in this particular chapter, and they actually had to do with rereading and restudying the book. The one was to read the entire book through and then come back to the chapter. And then begin at once to put your imagination to work on the building of a plan or plans for the transformation of desire into money. And then the second is kind of similar, but it was after you finish the book, reread it and study it at least two more times. Now, in addition to the action items from last week, we have several action items that have been delegated by both myself and the author. And you can find those in the action item spreadsheet. Again, that's in our Telegram group so that's pretty easy to find there. And this week, we're discussing the chapter on organized planning. I'm curious to know what you guys thought of this chapter. First of all, it was pretty long, and there was a lot of content in it, but it seemed a little, to me at least, it seemed a little all over the place. It seemed a little disorganized, ironically, but man, it was full of lists. There was like five different lists of things in, in here, and I'm going to try to distill it down the best that I can for you guys. I'm not going to read through all the list because I know everybody's got the book, but uh, I'm just going to kind of give my general overview and I'm going to try to make it about the same length episode without burning up quite as much time going into a lot of detail, but still hopefully provide some meaningful discussion and some good generalization for what this chapter is all about. So let's get into it. okay so so far we know that it all starts with the desire then using the imagination we create plans and then from which point we transmute them into reality so in the second chapter napoleon instructed us to take six practical steps one of these was to form definite practical plans through which to make this particular transmutation now this chapter is going to describe in detail how we are to build plans. He says, namely, these are first to ally yourself with a group of people to help you carry out that plan called the mastermind, which is described in detail in a later chapter. Um, one thing I want to point out here when he says ally yourself with as many people as you can, I think you should pay close attention to the word ally. Um, I think it tends to kind of turn people off when it comes to the development of mastermind. I think It is kind of intimidating to think that, oh, man, I've got to assemble this team of experts and got to lead them. And ultimately, this is about finding people who you want to cooperate with. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have all the answers. But what it does mean is that you bring them the idea and together you figure out how to make it a reality. Another thing Napoleon is going to detail in this chapter is that before you start forming your group, figure out what it is that you can offer them. People don't work indefinitely for nothing. There's got to be something in it for them. He also wants us to arrange to meet with our mastermind at least twice weekly until together we have perfected the plans for the accumulation of riches. And lastly, we're going to talk about maintaining the perfect harmony between you and every member of the mastermind, and how important that is. Without harmony and cooperation, success just isn't possible. Now there are two main topics about organized planning that the author wants us to remember here. The first being that our plans must be faultless. If there's a fault in the plan, that's when failure occurs. It's just when there's something wrong, something goes awry, that's when failure occurs. It seems obvious, but in the moment when something doesn't go your way and you're failing and you feel like the world is just crumbling around you, it's important to realize that it's because there must have been a fault in the plan and you gotta go back to the drawing board. The second thing he wants us to remember is that we will require the knowledge and cooperation of other people in order in order to succeed this isn't something that we're going to be able to do on our own we've got to start reaching out to people we've got to find the people that can fill in the things that either we're not experts on or maybe the things that we're weak at either way we need to have some help one quote that kind of stuck up to me in this section is no one individual has sufficient experience education native ability and knowledge to ensure the accumulation of a great fortune without the cooperation of other people so what he is saying here is that every plan you adopt should be a joint creation between you your mastermind even the plans that you come up with initially those organized plans which you're pulling from the ether and developing on your own as you're trying to figure this out they should be checked and approved by the members of your mastermind if your first plan fails try another pretty much every person who has ever met any sort of substantial level of success was met with temporary defeat at some point or another Now, of course, once this person has met such wild success, we only remember their triumphs. For this reason, people often describe their success as privilege or luck, forgetting that they stayed persistent until they were met with success. So when you're down in the dumps, if something didn't go your way, if something fell through, realize that it only means that your initial organized plan is just unsound. And all you have to do is go back and try again and be persistent and continue to try. Something that Napoleon says here that should give you confidence and you can refer back to it whenever you find yourself meeting a failure such as this is that no follower of this philosophy can reasonably expect to accumulate a fortune without experiencing, quote, temporary defeat guys when temporary defeat comes realize that it's only because the plans weren't sound and it's just start over with new plans this is what he studied for decades over hundreds of people and in every single case whenever these people met with temporary defeat they kept going they they changed their plans they changed direction as necessary and they kept trying and trying until it worked to remind yourself of this fact napoleon has delegated an action item In this section he says to write the words quote a quitter never wins and a winner never quits end quote on a piece of paper an inch high and place it where you will see it every night before you go to bed and every morning before you go to work this way you have a constant reminder that quitting giving up is just not an option now this mindset also goes for the people of your mastermind so either you have to pick people who aren't going to give up Or you have to convince them that your idea is sound and that there's no way that they're going to give up either. Planning the sale of personal services. You guys are probably noticing this just as much as I am, but this book seems to jump around a lot when it comes to describing the principles of success they're so interconnected that i think the author had a hard time trying to put them in a way that made sense and was totally organized and this chapter in particular is definitely showing that too in this short section there's just one important point and that is that most great fortunes began with either the sale of personal services or the sale of ideas now the cool part is that is how it's always been throughout history and now, our entire system is set up that way. We give others what they want in order to receive what it is that we want. So, from this point on, the chapter is pretty heavily focused on the sale of personal services. And we're going to get into that more in detail. But keep an open mind as to what the definition of personal services really means, especially in today's day and age. It can mean so many things. So as we get into it and talk about it more, we're going to really sort of tear apart what it means to be selling a personal service. Most leaders begin as followers. Now this is a topic that I think we could discuss for hours, but broadly speaking, there are two types of people. There are leaders and there are followers. Now, of course, there's no shame in being a follower although their ability to accumulate riches is vastly lower than the leader you see society rewards the people who can be decisive the people who can give direction to a vision those that can inspire with very few exceptions an efficient leader was at one point an efficient follower i think the important thing to remember here is that the efficient leader has the empathy or the experience as what it was like to be A good follower so he's able to put himself in the shoes of his followers to know how to most efficiently lead them now what is an intelligent follower Napoleon describes it it says an intelligent follower has many advantages among them the ability to learn from his leader rapidly see an intelligent follower pays close attention to how his leader gets things done how he delegates how he inspires so that when it comes time For the follower to step up and become that leader, he's able to do so in a way that's even better than his leader was doing for him. The major attributes of leadership. Now, you guys know this podcast is not about regurgitating the book to you guys, but it's about hearing my take and hearing my generalization and what the takeaways that I'm feeling are from these sections. So I'm not going to regurgitate the list of the major attributes. attributes as they are described by Napoleon, but instead I'm going to talk about what each of these means to me. So first up, we have unwavering courage. I think this is important to know that you have to be sure of yourself, but humble when mistakes are made. Your followers see this. They see confidence, but they also don't want to see arrogance. They want to follow somebody who can admit when they're wrong or who can ask questions, who can know when it's time to step back and say, you know what, there's something I'm not 100% confident or let's say there's this item that I don't know 100% about. I don't have the knowledge. I don't possess the knowledge. So I'm going to have to ask for help. Second is self-control. Guys, if you as a leader cannot control your emotions in times of stress, in times of frustration, first of all, people aren't going to respect you. But second, it's important to set a good example for your followers as well because they're going to exemplify the attitudes that you execute. So be the master of your emotions and keep a steady resolve. People wanna know what they can expect from you and your reactions. So if you aren't the type of leader that has self-control and control over the way that you react, to things. People aren't going to want to approach you at all. Third, a good leader has a keen sense of justice. Understanding what is fair is absolutely crucial. Have you guys ever been asked by a leader to do something they would never do themselves? Now, this is of course okay sometimes, but let's say that that leader is constantly pointing at a task that is something that A, they don't know how to do, or B, they just don't wanna do it because it's really, really boring work or it's just not fun work or in like in the construction industry it's dirty or it's not something that typically somebody wants to do. At a certain point, the follower gets fed up doing these tasks and really starts to take on a feeling of underappreciation as they do these lower level menial tasks. So as the leader, it is important to value the sacrifices of others when they make it for your cause. Fourth is definiteness of decision. Napoleon describes this as a ship without a rudder. So imagine getting on a ship that can't steer itself. That's what effectively. A leader is who doesn't have the ability to make a definite decision and steer the direction of the group to a specific destination you got to know the decision you'd like to make although I do like to wait the decisions often it makes the followers feel like they're involved in the decision-making process but still the leader should be able to say hey here's what I'm thinking we should do for these reasons you guys Do you guys agree? What do you think? And oftentimes, if you are well-versed on the details of your position, they're going to say, yeah, that sounds good to me. But other times, they might chime in and they might notice something that you didn't. And that's helpful too, especially if you listen to them, if you, like we talked about in the first point, the unwavering courage, if you have some humility to understand that, you know what, I don't know everything. That helps you to make the best decision. Fifth is definiteness of plans. So again, this is similar to making definite decisions. So sometimes what I'll start with is here's my plan and what do you guys think? It really allows me to gauge how others feel about it and it often helps to hone the plan's efficiency. It helps people to get a feel for what their roles are gonna be, what others roles are gonna be and how their part is crucial in the success of completing that plan. Number six, the habit of doing more than paid for. Guys, the leader should give the sense that he would not delegate any task which he is not willing to do himself. If there is something in which the leader lacks expertise, he must learn everything about the subject generally and sit down with the individual to work through how the task will be accomplished. The leader is the one that stays late. The leader is the one that cleans the bathroom. The leader is the one who does those tasks that really fall between most of the other people. The tasks that aren't that fun. He shows people that he's willing to do that stuff to the point where people start taking on those duties themselves. They see the leader doing that and they want to emulate him doing that. Doesn't mean the leader steps away from that stuff, but he leads and inspires people to help him out himself. A pleasing personality. Now this one's kind of subjective because you could try to define what a pleasing personality is, but it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. Napoleon says that no slovenly, careless person can become a successful leader. A strong leader must care about everything from the way he presents himself to the happiness of his followers. When I was reading this, I wrote down a leader is imperfectly striving for perfection. So it means in his effort to become a more effective leader, trying to be the best that he possibly can, he knows that he is imperfect. He has the humility to understand that he's going to make mistakes. And he is transparent about that to his followers. The eighth attribute, sympathy and understanding. A successful leader must understand his followers and their problems. Guys, this is empathy. To be a successful leader, always Put yourself in their shoes. How would you react to what you're about to ask them? Are there unique personal things that may affect this person in this particular case? This is where having some strong people skills really comes into effect. Not only does it allow you to help to make your followers happier with the task that they've been given, but it also helps to make your team more efficient. Because if you're delegating things to people that maybe aren't playing to their strengths or it's something that they're not comfortable doing, that person's going to spin their wheels and you might struggle to accomplish something that otherwise would have been much easier to do had you found somebody else to do it for you. Now, this isn't to say that there shouldn't be growth built in sometimes when you delegate tasks the objective is to help that person grow and to help that person learn but again this all has to be done with empathy you have to approach these delegations in a way that says hey i want you to take on this task because i believe that you can do this and i believe that in doing it you are going to learn something that's going to make you even more valuable to our mission the ninth attribute is mastery of detail now i'm not naturally a detail-oriented person So this made my heart skip a beat a little bit, but the detail mastery pertains to the leadership position itself, not to the details of its followers. So the leader doesn't micromanage. He doesn't get down into the nitty gritty of all the tiny little things that the followers are paying attention to. As the leader, you need to be able to ask the right questions. Once you really have a strong grasp of the details of the leadership position, you'll be able to ask these questions. You'll know what the right questions are. Willingness to accept full responsibility. Number 10. As the leader, the buck stops with you. Understand that through proper communication and delegation, almost any mistake may be avoided. So when they are made, have the humility to take this on and explain what you would do differently next time. I think... It also means giving the credit to the right people. You would think as the leader, this would be some glorious, glamorous position, but it's really not. It's about giving credit to the right people. You're just the organizer. You're the one that delegates and oversees, but the people who are actually making these things happen are your followers. They're the ones listening to your delegations. So you really don't get any credit either. So it's kind of an unforgiving, unforgiving job. And last, the 11th major attribution of leadership is cooperation. And I am going to regurgitate what Napoleon says here. He says that leadership calls for power, but power calls for cooperation. A successful leader has to understand how to apply cooperative effort to induce his followers to do the same. This is the difference between a leader and a tyrant. The leader determines the ultimate direction of a team, but that's about it. The rest is cooperation with the rest of the team. So don't think for a second that if you're going to go and you're going to be an effective leader, that you're just going to point your finger and things are just going to magically happen. Really, it's about coming down to the same level of the people that you are leading and working out ways to make one another mutually happy to accomplish the tasks at hand so that does it for the 11 major attributes of leadership napoleon says that the leader who can exemplify these 11 attributes will find abundant opportunity to lead in any walk of life if you ever read the book how to win friends and influence people you'll read the story of charles schwab he was the first man to ever make 1 million dollars a year as a i think he was a ceo but essentially what his major skill level was, was people skills. He was a leader. He was able to inspire people to take action. And through this inspiration, he was able to make the United States Steel Corporation a massive success the most valued quality that any person has ever had and will ever have is leadership the last thing that I want to mention from this section is that there are two types of leadership and we kind of covered them in the 11 attributes but I want to hit on them again because Napoleon does so the most effective type is that in which the leader has received the sympathy and consent of his followers that makes sense but the second is the leadership by force without consent or sympathy History shows us that people will not follow forced leadership indefinitely. Napoleon, Mussolini, Hitler, and many in this country today do not feel as though they are given an honest choice between their elected candidates. Or maybe you even have a boss that leads by force. Either way, how does history treat those people? Historically, how long have those people been able to be in power? Yeah, they've done some damage. That's for sure. They've made things happen it's unfortunate to say but the reality is is that sooner or later their time as a leader expires the 10 major causes of failure in leadership here the author stresses the point that it is just as important to know what not to do in leadership as what it is to know what to do so first we have the inability to organize details so my take on this if there are details which you as the leader are finding to be too much. Teach and delegate to a capable follower. Instead of claiming that you don't have the time, this allows you to dedicate time to things more in need of your attention. Number two is unwillingness to render humble service. A great quote here is, The greatest among ye shall be a servant of all. A good leader should never delegate a task which they would not be willing to do themselves, and the follower should feel as though the leader is open to doing such. Now, in my experience with leadership roles, it can be tough to delegate actions which I don't feel I have the proper knowledge or skill set. Now, in these particular cases, I have to learn what I can about the subject. I've got to Ask the delegate everything about what they will be doing in order to accomplish their task and what challenges that they're going to run into along the way. I'm going to ask them what they need to overcome these challenges. What do we need to prepare them for the task at hand? But take every semblance of energy necessary to make that person feel like you're just as involved with this process as they are and take as much of the responsibility as you can as far as the stuff which you actually know and understand go. Number three, the expectation to be compensated for what they know instead of what they do with that which they know. The world does not pay people for what they know. It pays them for what they induce others to do. That's a quote from this section. Now, if this weren't the case, professors, teachers, they would be the ones that are highest paid in society. Instead, it's actually those who impact the world around them and actually carry out the knowledge that they have. And I'm sorry if any of you out there are teachers or professors, it's nothing against you in particular, but it is it is a reality with the system that we're in. So if you take that knowledge, you directly apply it instead of teaching it to others, you're going to be compensated as such. Number four is fear of competition from followers. Now, Thinking deep about this particular aspect of a failing leader, it really starts to make me think, why are you in that leadership role in the first place? If it's to exert your power and authority, fear of competition from followers is for sure gonna be a fear. But if it's truly an unadulterated desire to the success of the team, in accomplishing the mission, you should really actually be holding the opposite mindset. I think that a good leader actually has an anticipation that his followers were some are gonna someday take his place. It's important to let go of the ego and thirst for power if you have it and allow your followers to flourish because flourishing followers means a greater likelihood that you are gonna accomplish what you guys are setting out to do. Okay, so with number five, you guys remember how from the last chapter crucial imagination is in forming organized plans. As a leader, you have to understand the detail and the level of work that's going to be required from every facet of these organized plans. And so number five being lack of imagination When Napoleon says that a leader who can't come up with definite plans or meet emergencies effectively is not going to be a good leader. He's got to be able to envision how the plan is going to be carried out and how he can course correct to get back on track when things don't go right. Number six, selfishness. Selfishness is going to cause you to fail in a multitude of other things in life if you find yourself suffering from it. Not just leadership. I've got a couple of really good examples for this failure of leadership, a good leader does not accept credit, but instead seeks every opportunity for it to go to his followers. Many people will work just as hard for the commendation as they will for money alone. Now, one example that I've seen in the failure of leadership in my life was I had a boss who, as he would walk through a job site, He would say he would point to stuff and he would say oh we did this or we accomplished this we tore this apart Especially on the hard tasks. He would say, you know, we 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 everything was we and it really annoyed the crap out of us because we were the ones that were actually sweating we were the ones getting dirty we were the ones breathing in the dust if we were doing the demolition we were the ones who were actually getting it done so when we hear our leader taking credit for all of this when actually in reality he was sitting on his phone you know sending emails doing different kinds of work but still not doing the work that he was taking credit for. It really frustrated us. Now, the second example isn't necessarily about a failure of leadership, but it's about how people will work for commendation versus just pay a loan. And that was actually a pretty recent example in my line of work. So we were tearing apart an addition on a house. And it was a relatively small addition. But I found myself working extremely hard, working really fast to try to get this torn down. And after a couple of days of work, and we actually got it done, and I thought in a pretty quick manner. And I looked back and I said, "Well, why did I work so especially hard to do that?" And ultimately, it was for the commendation. I guess I just wanted to see how fast I could do it myself. It was, it was, I was being competitive with myself, but also I just wanted to show the team how quick we could get it done. And this was ultimately because I know that the team would appreciate it. I knew that they would give us the credit and I know that they would make us feel good because we did something that was important and it was actually something that not many people want to do. Number seven is intemperance. I actually had to Google this one quick because I really wanted to make sure I understood what the meaning of the word was. And according to the definition that I found online, it's basically overindulgence or lack of restraint, lack of self-control. A leader who can't exercise self-control is not an example for his followers. Admittedly, many weaknesses can be tolerated, but this one really is not. To followers, it seems like their leader has another leader for whom he has no choice but to bow. When he succumbs to his own anger, succumbs to his own frustration, succumbs to his own insecurities, his own fear, the followers quickly start to lose their allegiance number eight disloyalty now this one gets pretty heavy napoleon says quote disloyalty marks one as being less than the dust of the earth and brings down on one's head the contempt he deserves whoa (laughs) so a leader who is disloyal is basically lower than the amoebas in the dirt i mean that's what that's what he's saying so a good leader one who will not fail is one who can exercise strong loyalty in a relationship and that has to be built with everybody the only reason that a leader would purposely lie to his associates would be to unfairly manipulate them there's really no other reason for him to do such a thing he should always be transparent he should always be honest and he should always believe in the people that he is leading. Number nine is the emphasis of the, quote, authority of leadership. Now, we actually talked about this in the last section. There's the two types of leaders. We've got the one who has received the sympathy and consent of his followers, and we have the one who leads by force. And I think this one speaks for itself. Many of us have dealt with leaders like this. And they're just not fun to follow because they make everything about them and their own power and feeling good about themselves. It's not about the mission. It's not about the team and the goal that everybody is striving for. And finally, the last major cause of failure in leadership is the emphasis of title. I think this is a great last point to make here because it is when generally thought of it gives you an idea of what a leader should look like a competent leader should require no title to give him the respect of his followers a leader who has to emphasize his title probably doesn't have much else guys leadership without a title is so important de-emphasize the title of authority it makes you more approachable and more relatable additionally internally it gives you some humility It puts you in perspective with yourself to know that you're not above these. Sure, you're providing the ultimate direction for the team, but you're still just as much a part of the team that they are. Some fertile fields in which new leadership will be required. Now, mind you, this book was written in 1937. And he describes some examples of opportunities where new, strong leadership is going to be desperately needed. And might I say, he is spot on. So number one, he mentions politics. I don't know how this couldn't be any more obvious. There, are, Even if you are for one party or the other in the United States, I can about guess that most people are still unsatisfied with the leadership in either party. Second is the banking business. Now, I don't know much about the banking industry on a day-to-day basis, but I do know that our money is being destroyed every single day, and there is a major call for people to come into the space who are uncorrupt and can fix this sort of stuff. Third is industry. This is a big one. People don't want to work with their hands anymore. A good leader in this industry will develop ways to make this more satisfying to people. I'm a guy who likes to work with my hands, and I strive for leadership in this space in particular. The religious leader, with a focus on the, quote, temporal issues of individuals and their lives, and a focus on the unborn future instead of the dead past. Now, that's a direct quote from the book there. Education, law, and medicine. Napoleon stresses how a leader in education is going to have to stress the application of knowledge instead of the philosophy. And we're seeing this today with the online courses and how they are directly teaching people how to be successful in their field by not just teaching fundamentals, by teaching them how to use the knowledge that they've acquired as a successful person in their field. And the final industry that he lists here is journalism. And I don't know how any single industry in this list could be any more obvious, especially today. Napoleon points out that the world is changing at a rapid pace. And, I mean, this book is written in 1937, so what about today? I would think that if Napoleon were alive today and there were such a word that was faster than rapid, he would certainly be using it here. It's really cool to see how... Pretty much every one of these fields is desperately crying out for new leadership. Napoleon made some really accurate predictions here. When and how to apply for a position. So from this point on in the rest of the chapter, Napoleon focuses on the marketing of one's personal services. And after really thinking and reading about what he talks about in detail in this chapter, I like to think of marketing personal services as the act of bringing one's personal services to the marketplace and personal services as what it is that you do for that marketplace with your mind and your abilities. So try to keep an open mind when he talks about marketing personal services. This can be done in many capacities. It can be done in the capacity as an entrepreneur, it can be done in the capacity of an employee. Either way, it's about bringing yourself to the people that need you. So this particular list is about how to effectively bring buyer and seller together. First on the list is employment bureaus. I would equate this to like a temp agency. Maybe I'm incorrect in what he means by an employment bureau, but I think this is what he's talking about here. I think this method is applicable to pretty much everyone however the greater skill level that you have and the more sought after that it is i think the more luck you're going to have with something like an employment bureau or a headhunter is going to be but in essence you're going to somebody who professionally matches an employer and an employee or buyer and seller as napoleon says here number two is advertising today of course we have ways of doing this on the internet we've got LinkedIn even Facebook can be used if in the correct way maybe posting to the classifieds in the old-fashioned way he describes here would stand out too I have not really tried this the idea here is to publicly post the opening or the search for a job in a place where one party or the other is going to see it number three personal letters of application this one's kind of interesting Uh, in the chapter on specialized knowledge the son of the lady who marketed personal services she wrote a letter similar to this in this particular case he found the company he wanted to work for and described how he could best benefit them by a position he would be essentially creating number four is the application through personal acquaintances. When possible, the applicant should try to seek opportunities through mutual acquaintances. This is especially helpful when trying to seek executive level positions. Guys, this is basically networking. And I think this one is really, really crucial in today's day and age when people are constantly reaching out to one another through private messages and filling up each other's inboxes. The more that somebody can make themselves known through a personal acquaintance, instead of a general reach through the internet the more that they're likely to be noticed and i think this has a lot to do with trust because it's so easy for people to reach out to one another it really tends to saturate the market and finally is the application in person i think this kind of goes hand in hand with the personal letter of application the idea here is that you just show up at a business or you talk to a person and set up a meeting with them and you say I've got something that's going to help your business succeed, or in the case of the employer, he reaches out to the possible employee and he says, we need you on our team, and they discuss how they could best benefit one another through the course of business. Now, in this case, it's important for the potential employee to bring a personal letter of qualification so they can leave behind with that perspective of an employer a detailed account of what it is that they are going to be able to do okay now remember this section is not about how to write and submit a resume which is a lot of what people do in today's day and age especially if you're a college graduate the idea is that you go to the school career fair or you go on indeed or one of these other places and you simply submit a resume these steps are about connecting in a real way with the employer or the employee information supplied as a written brief this concept is heavily stressed in this section He says that it should be prepared as carefully as a lawyer prepares his case, and that it should be done so with the assistance of an expert. Somebody who understands the art and psychology of advertising. Whether merchandise or personal services, all of the following in the list apply. First is education. Briefly and definitely describe the schooling you have and why the specialization in that particular subject. Number two, experience. Describe any previous positions or events which have helped you to hone your skills for the position being applied for. List names and addresses of contacts for previous employers. This is commonly known as your reference sheet. And third references is to take that one step deeper. He says to reach out to your previous employers, teachers, or influential people and ask them to write a letter speaking favorably in a clear and concise way about your character, about your work ethic, and about your knowledge. Number four is a photograph of yourself. I don't know, this one seems kinda outdated to me, but I will say that online you pretty much have a picture on every one of these networking websites that you have just in your profile picture. In the brief, Napoleon says to apply for a specific position. Never just apply for just a position. I want to work for you. You want to know exactly the position for which you're applying for and what it is you are going to do for that person in the position. Number six, state your qualifications. Give a full and honest detail as to why you're qualified and well suited for the position you're seeking this is the most important detail of the brief and will determine more than anything the consideration that you receive number seven is to offer to go to work on probation i think this can be really appealing because it creates essentially a risk-free offer for the employer offer your services for free for a period of time it shows that you're confident your abilities and it's super convincing make clear that you're very confident in your ability make clear that your confidence that the employer will want to employ you at the end of probation and lastly make clear your determination to have the passion for the position for which you're applying and lastly make sure you make clear that you have a deep knowledge and understanding of your prospective employer's business Do sufficient research as to what the company does and the specific needs of that company, especially in the industry as a whole. Describe how your experience and qualification directly applies to what the prospective employer is trying to accomplish for their customer. A great quote in this section is, it is not the lawyer who knows the most law, but the one who prepares his case best who wins don't worry about making your brief too long good employers are seeking the best so the more information that they can attain the better as long as it is clear and concise they'll keep i know a lot of times people talk about how employers will throw are quick to throw away resumes if they don't look right and i believe this does happen in industries but if you're really trying to find the position of your dreams, if you're really trying to create a strong symbiotic relationship between employer and employee, applying for a position in the non-traditional way by submitting a brief like this should be noticed. Chances are if your resume or the brief that you submit is quickly disregarded and thrown in the trash can, you probably don't want to be working for that company anyway. A couple other things he mentions is that it has to be painstakingly neat and correct to exemplify your attention to detail. It also has to be neatly bound and titled like the example in the book. Overall, remember, this is your first impression, so do everything you can to dress it up. I'd like to insert sort of prediction that I have for many of the industries around the world in today's day and age, and that is people are going to continue to become more and more contract workers or job or project base. And the more that you can market what it is that you know for a specific project or job instead of a full-time position, the better. Because it gives you the opportunity to make more money as a contract employee and specifically apply knowledge for a short-term specific need for an employer. Now this being the case, having a written brief prepared is extremely important. And the way that the author describes printing it out, binding it, making it really presentable, is kind of old fashioned. Today, maybe you can buy a domain name that's just your first name, last name.com, and basically have a interactive resume that's got all kinds of content. It could have videos of yourself. It could have an about section where you talk about your life, your hobbies. It can talk about, you could have a section about your experience. Really the possibilities are endless as to what you could exemplify. Imagine a really nice, smooth, interactive website as you scroll through that has all of the qualifications of a really nice printed and bound book, but has one level beyond that because it's got a level of interaction as well as the opportunity to provide value just by a simple visit to the website how to get the exact position you desire. I want to reiterate here that it is first and foremost, the most important that you know exactly what it is that you want. And this goes not for just knowing the position that you want, but just what you want your life to look like in general. So whether it's a specific position or what you just want your life to be like as a whole, You have to know exactly what it looks like before you can do any of this stuff. So number one is decide the exact position that you want. If it doesn't exist, you can create it. Number two is to choose the company or individual with whom you want to work. So again, reiterating. What does your life look like? Three, study the employer, in particular their policies, their personnel, and chances of advancement. Then after that is number four, figure out what it is that you can offer. Plan ways and means that you can give advantages, ideas, services, and developments. This is about providing value to their company. Now it may require some industry research as to what the industry needs. Let's call this your potential applied capital. Number five is to forget about a job. This is about what you can offer to the company to advance their cause. It's not just an ordinary average position. This is about a relationship. Number six is to get some help. Have somebody, preferably an experienced writer, help you with putting your plan or your potential applied capital into words for someone at the company to read, i.e. your written brief as described in your In the previous section and last is to give your plan the prop to the proper person of authority at the company for which you would like to work so reach out to them say hey i've got i'm interested in working with you and i've got something that i would like you to read and when you do so make sure you're providing them with value in some way or another if you're talking to a manager or a supervisor maybe try to sneak in a small potential idea or concept that you've been thinking might help their business grow you could say i've got a really cool idea about trying to make xyz more efficient or make something better i've written it in this brief So not only does it catch their attention and make them want to read what you wrote in the brief, but it also has given them a little bit of value, something to think on as far as, hey, maybe there's something I can improve here. I also think that what Napoleon is trying to stress here is that if you can avoid just giving it to the hiring manager or maybe somebody in human resources, it'll give you a greater leg up. I love this, Napoleon says that the simple fact is that every company has room for the man who has a definite plan of action. Guys, if you know what you can do, and you know how you can apply it, To make yourself and that company succeed, any company has room for you. And finally, I have a couple points written down in this section. The top one being you can even do this as a gig worker. If you wanna consult on a specific topic or just do a bunch of miscellaneous jobs for various companies, the opportunities are endless here in the information age. Next, and I think one of the more important points here is to have some empathy. Put yourself in the employer's shoes. How can you put a plan in their hands that seems no risk, but yet a net benefit to them? What is it that they need to succeed? What might they be struggling with? And finally, remember you don't have to start at the bottom. If you're able to put a plan of action in somebody's hands that isn't for an entry level position, it's much more likely to get noticed than if it it were otherwise. The new way of marketing services. Now remember to think of marketing personal services as bringing your abilities to the marketplace and a personal service as what you do for that marketplace with your mind and your abilities. Now the old-fashioned relationship between the employer and employee is a constant negotiation between employer and employee, all the while the customer is getting left stranded. The coal industry and their workers drove up the cost of energy so much that it paved the way for oil. The author also covers the story of the gas meter reader barging into the house, being rude to the people that live there. This became such a liability to the gas companies that they were forced to hire people who could be happy, thus making their customers happier, more welcoming, and more open to communication. If you're worried about job security, employers are gonna do just about anything to keep an employee who has struck a strong, symbiotic relationship between themselves and their customers. He says, quote, we are where we are because of our own conduct. Now this is referring to the businesses and their relationships with the public they serve. The same is true for us as individuals our thoughts and our actions form the reality of around us, as we've discussed many times before. What is your QQS rating? Here, the QQS rating means quality, quantity, and spirit. And we are to use it to market our personal services effectively. What it basically means is a permanent market. People who keep buying from you at a satisfactory price, a price that's fair to both the public and yourself, under pleasant conditions, you are not suffering or sacrificing to do it. I have a little equation written here. The perfect salesmanship of service equals quality plus quantity sold in a spirit of cooperation. So what is quality? Quality is the performance of every detail in connection with your position in the most efficient manner possible and with the objective of greater efficiency always in mind. Quantity is the habit, underlying habit, of rendering all of the service of which you are capable at all times with the purpose of increasing the amount of service rendered as greater skill is developed through practice and experience. Basically, it's helping as many people as you can while trying to become so good at it that you can help more people. Third, what is spirit? It is essentially agreeable, harmonious conduct with peers and customers so as to induce as much cooperation as possible. Spirit is so important here, okay? Andrew Carnegie, as an example, he required that all of his employees had a spirit of harmony and cooperation. If they didn't, They didn't work for him for long. Spirit can also make up for other deficiencies. If one has a personality which pleases, it can often make up for times when one may fall short in quantity and quality. Napoleon says that this is the main determining factor of the price that you can charge and the duration for which your personal services may be employed. The capital value of your services. It is pointed out here that the person who earns a living by selling their personal services as an individual or employee is no different than a merchant selling a specific product now because this is true they are therefore required to be held to the same standards as the merchant in the end what you do with your mind determines your capital value what you do with your mind is better than commodities. It can't be depreciated by depressions. It can't be stolen or spent. Turning the potential of the mind is what makes the mind the most valuable commodity. The 31 major causes of failure. All right, so we're gonna get into a pretty long list here and I'm gonna do my best to not just regurgitate but instead to give my take on all of these individual points of failure if you guys have some different ideas or insights be sure to put them in our telegram group the first is the only single cause of failure which may not be easily corrected by any individual on their own and it is unfavorable hereditary background napoleon says that there is But little one can do for a natural lack of brain power, but it is easily overcome with the help of a mastermind, with the help of reaching out to more people. That's what a mastermind really is. Number two, remember how I talked about earlier how it is so important to know exactly what it is you want? Well, number two here is a lack of well-defined purpose in life. There is no hope for someone without a definite major purpose or goal. 98 percent of people who failed that the author studied were missing this important part third is the lack of ambition to aim above mediocrity you have to want better for yourself you have to want better for your life you got to be passionate about growing in life and you can't be indifferent are you willing to pay the price to do so fourth is insufficient education Now be sure to go back and look at the chapter on specialized knowledge if you find that this is something that's affecting you. And what it says in that chapter is that any person who is educated has learned to get whatever he or she wants without violating the rights of others. Education is not knowledge, but the application of that knowledge. Knowledge persistently and efficiently applied. It's what you do with what you know. Fifth, the lack of self-discipline. Self-mastery is the hardest challenge you will ever tackle, okay? You have to control all negative qualities, and you have to recognize that they are there. Stay on target with the goal that you're trying to achieve. Six, ill health. Many of the causes of ill health are subject to mastery and control, and the author describes some of the most common ill health habits. One, not eating healthy foods. Two, negative thought. Again, pay attention to what you're thinking about. Number three, wrong use of or overindulgence in sex. Fourth, lack of proper exercise. Of course, this one is pretty stressed and obvious today. And lastly is the lack of fresh air due to improper breathing. I thought that this one was pretty interesting, but you can improve your health by simply sitting for five minutes and just focusing on slow deep breaths. It can do wonders for your clarity of mind and just making you feel better. Number seven, unfavorable environmental influences as a child. Some people make the wrong friends and the wrong choices because of it. I love the quote here, as a twig is bent, so must the tree go. Are there people and events that influence you in childhood that quote bent you? Number eight is procrastination. I think we could probably all agree that this is one of the most common, if not the most common. Many people are just waiting for the right time. The fact is, the time will never be just right. It just doesn't exist. That's a fallacy. So start where you stand and use the tools that you have. And as you go along, you're going to develop better tools. Number nine, lack of persistence. Guys, I don't think this one can be stressed enough. Of all of the personal growth books, of all of the teachers, gurus, successful people who ever talk about what brought them to success, it's about never giving up. You see, most of us are great starters, but poor finishers. Failure cannot cope with persistence. Do not quit, ever. Number 10, a negative personality. This one should seem pretty obvious, but you're not going to be able to succeed unless you can get it along with other people. And what does it mean to get along with other people? It's cooperation. Cooperation is required to succeed. One cannot induce cooperation unless they have a positive, harmonious personality. Number 11, lack of controlled sexual urge. Now, there's actually an entire chapter dedicated to sexual energy and transmutation of sexual energy. This is the most powerful of the stimuli which push people into action, according to Napoleon. It must be controlled through transmutation and converted into other channels. Number 12, an uncontrolled desire for something for nothing. One word, shortcuts. I've written here that when you gamble, when you try to take the easy way out, the house always wins. 13. A lack of a well-defined power of decision. This means to make a decision promptly and change it very slowly, if at all. Napoleon says here, indecision and procrastination are twin brothers. They're basically one and the same, or at least they go hand in hand. He says to kill the pair off, or the two of them will hogtie you. 14. One or more of the six basic fears. We will discuss these in a later chapter. 15. Wrong selection of a mate in marriage. The author says here that an inharmonious relationship is a common cause of failure. It often destroys ambition because it creates misery and unhappiness. And if you can't be happy, it's incredibly difficult to keep your ultimate goals and your definite major purpose in focus. I believe many times an inharmonious marriage can be brought into harmony. If you find yourself in this kind of relationship, you know that the first place to start is here. 16. Over-Caution Quote, the person who takes no chances generally has to take whatever is left when others are through choosing. Okay, now this is not to say you should throw caution to the wind because that can be just as bad, but it does mean that you can't let risk stop you. Number 17, wrong selection of associates in business. Pick People who are worth emulating. It's as simple as that. You want people around you who are better than you, who are going to keep you accountable, who are going to make you better, and who are just as obsessed as you are. 18. Superstition and Prejudice. This is a form of fear. It's pretty simple. Quote, Men who succeed keep open minds and are afraid of nothing. You can't go into something already having a preconceived belief or idea, concept of a block. It's only a block in your own mind. Number 19 is a wrong selection of a vocation. This one's pretty simple. Pick something that you want to do. If you're interested in it, and you are passionate about it, then do it. Don't try to make other people happy. Make it something that you can throw yourself into wholeheartedly, and something that aligns with your definite major purpose if you're trying to make others happy or if you're just in it for the money your heart is not going to be in the right place and you're going to quickly find yourself going down one of these other major modes of failure lack of concentration of effort number 20. the author says here the jack of all trades seldom is good at one focus your effort on one definite chief aim i think this is another great application for the mastermind and getting some help with attaining your chief aim. If you can focus on one specific aspect of your definite major purpose, you're much more likely to succeed because you're not being pulled in so many different directions. 21. The habit of indiscriminate spending. What the author is referring to here is having a little bit of a nest egg set aside that when you start selling your personal services you can actually get what you're seeking to get. Otherwise you're pretty much stuck getting what you can and being happy with it 22 lack of enthusiasm you cannot be convincing without enthusiasm think about the most enthusiastic person that you know how influential are they to the people around them generally they're always welcome in pretty much any group of people 23 intolerance it is a simple fact That worrying about what others want to be, what others want to do, what others have, is a huge waste of time. Instead, just be open minded, and doing so means that you are always learning. 24, intemperance, also known as overindulgence. The most damaging examples that the author mentions here are eating, alcohol, and sex. Number 25 is the inability to cooperate with others. Now, number 10, being a negative personality, goes somewhat hand in hand with this particular mode of failure. More people lose positions and big opportunities in life because of this particular reason. Number 26, possession of power that was not acquired through self effort. We discussed in a previous chapter how we don't value that which we have not earned turns out this is also a major cause of failure. If you're suddenly given the power to do something or you have the authority to do something that you didn't necessarily earn, you're probably not going to value it the way that it should be valued. And you're most likely going to lose it pretty quickly because it's not properly valued. 27. Intentional dishonesty. Napoleon says that there is no hope for a person who is dishonest by choice. Sooner or later, his deeds will catch up with him. Everything you do has to be fair, equitable, and honest. Otherwise, it's pretty much guaranteed to be a recipe for failure. 28. Egotism and vanity. These qualities serve as red lights which warn others to keep away. People don't want to cooperate with a person who is all about themselves, somebody who's egotistical and focused on the image. They see right through that stuff, and they don't want to be around those people. 29. Guessing instead of thinking. Many people are quick to jump to conclusions or actions because of opinions based on guesswork or snap judgments. How many times have you guys given up or put a fake roadblock up simply because of an assumed reality or assumed fear. This kind of relates back to number 18, prejudice and superstition. If you find yourself saying or thinking phrases like, I don't think, or I can't imagine, or I doubt, those are all guesswork. That's Those are all things that you haven't thought through. You're just assuming what the answer is number 30 is lack of capital this is a common mistake for many first-time businesses often they don't have sufficient capital reserves to get them through mistakes now i don't think that this means that in order to have a successful business that you have to go and raise a bunch of funding i think it just means you have to be smart with your money you can start small but sock that money away so that you can make mistakes And lastly, number 31 is actually more of a question for you. It's an action item. Think about in an honest light, what particular causes of failure have you suffered? If you think about it honestly so that you can develop plans to take this failure head on, then there's nothing that's gonna be able to stop you. There's also another action item here, which is kind of from the author, but also modified by me. And then that is to try an honest analysis of these 31 and your own propensity to fall prey to them. After doing this on your own, go through this list with someone who knows you well to help you with your honest analysis. Do you know your worth? Just like any tool, piece of merchandise, or physical product, it is incredibly important to know yourself inside and out. You gotta know your weaknesses so you can either bridge or eliminate them. You have to know your strengths so you can call attention to them. And you have to know what it is that you want so that you can best apply yourself. The only way to accomplish this is through the accurate analysis of yourself. Your financial wants or requirements have nothing to do with your worth. They are two completely separate things. I think that you can make however much money you want. You just have to make yourself worth it to the public or the employer that you're serving. I'm also gonna lump the next section in here as well about taking inventory of yourself. The action item here is to take an annual inventory of yourself at the end of the year because it's great to have a starting point at the beginning of every year. It gives you the opportunity to set up your New Year's resolutions and then Every December, sit down and see to which resolutions you followed through and those which you fell short. The idea is to see improvements to yourself and what you can do for others year over year. You can either move forward, stand still, or move backward. One's goal should, of course, be to move forward, always. Self analysis questionnaire for personal inventory. This section is. In itself an action item take this self analysis questionnaire yourself and check your answers with someone who will not let you deceive yourself again this book club is not about regurgitation so I'm not gonna list off all 28 of these self analysis questions but generally the idea here is to be as honest with yourself as humanly possible the more honest you are the better results that you're gonna get where and how one may find opportunities to accumulate riches. In this section, Napoleon lists all of the areas of freedom that so many of us take advantage of today. In the United States, we enjoy the freedom to do whatever we want, so long as it does not harm the rights of another person. That is a level of freedom that is unparalleled throughout history and today throughout a very large part of the world. Now, I think that the author answers the where that he alludes to in the title, and it's everywhere, everywhere. And now those opportunities can be found thousands of miles away from across the globe. I think that the how, although he does not outrightly define it in black and white, is having the gratitude, the appreciation, and the perspective that opportunity is literally everywhere. You just have to start looking for it. You have to have the positive mindset to believe that opportunity and abundance will flow to you. You just have to be open to it. And once again, if you know what it is you want, once you've determined your definite major purpose, you'll be able to find those opportunities. The miracle that has provided these blessings. The name of the thing that gives freedom to mankind is capital. And it consists not alone of money, but more particularly, capital can be defined as groups of people who plan ways and means of using money efficiently for the good of the public and profitably to themselves. It's about serving other people to get the freedom and the power to do what you want in return. I mean, what better system can you possibly have? There are people who blaze trails and contribute the most to progress of society. They're the brains of civilization. They're the people of ability. Now money without brains is very dangerous. It's just the medium through which we trade Our time which has been converted into value so remember at the basis of all of this is time it's what you do with your time and how you convert it into value I love the breakfast example in this section he describes what would be required to travel the world to collect a typical breakfast for a New York family China India South America not to mention the several stops all over the United States just to get the simple items that compose the average American's breakfast. Not only would you have to spend days, possibly even months traveling to collect all of these things, but the machinery and equipment that is used to bring all of this stuff to one location is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, not to mention all of the labor and time of the individuals to convert the raw material into the value that they are. And in the end, What does this cost the family? It doesn't cost them millions of dollars. In the end, it costs them less than 10 bucks. I mean, if you can't appreciate that, if you think that this system is evil, if you think that it's unfair, I'm sorry, then you're definitely not in the right place. Now, there are twofold reasons for analyzing this capitalistic system. All who seek riches must recognize and adapt to the system that controls the riches. Makes sense. Second is to show that the other side of the coin opposite to those who insist on proclaiming that organized capital is evil. Now the rest of the chapter is spent on pretty much ranting about capitalism. Napoleon describes the ever-growing mindset of something for nothing, born out of the idea that organized capital is poisonous. Now I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about this because there is quite a bit here, but read it a couple times for yourself. If you find yourself disagreeing with the general philosophy here, I'm going to say it again, this book is not for you. Capitalism is the system by which the principle of this book are based in, and that's the system through which they work. And if you inherently believe the fallacy that the entire system is against you, you're not going to win. Napoleon and myself believe that the best, most moral way to accumulate riches is to serve other people. No amount of force or threat of being thrown in jail should ever be required. That's what it is at its core. It's all about serving other people. I can't stress that enough. So step up to the plate, decide what it is you want, create your plan, serve other people, and follow through with persistence. Capitalism is going to do the rest. So that is gonna do it for this chapter on organized planning. What do you guys think? There was so much in this chapter and definitely the chapter of lists. I hope you guys are able to take some time to go through the content several times and really understand what it's all about. Honestly, to me, this chapter jumped a lot. There was a lot of different information much of which didn't really flow super well, but I do appreciate the practicality of application, which has not been so easily found in previous chapters. First, we started out in leadership and what it takes to be a strong leader, also what it doesn't take to be a strong leader. We learned about the many causes of failure. We learned about how to market your personal services, and we learned about the system through which Anyone can get what they want. Next week, we are discussing chapter number eight, Decision. This is only an 11-page chapter, which is kind of refreshing after the extremely long chapter we just went through. I'm pretty excited for this chapter because it's a pretty in-your-face, no-excuse methodology. Finally, guys, if you want to be a part of our community, join us on t.me pg club that's our telegram group you can find the app in the android app store or the apple app store we're also on locals.com we're on parlor.com i'll also take donations i'd love for you guys to send some money and support the podcast not a penny of what you guys send in goes into my pocket but instead goes into improving the reach of the club and building our community making our community better If you guys are interested in sending in a donation and you want a copy of my notes i'll send you those too you can also donate in bitcoin on the website that's anchor.fm pgb club i've got an address right there in the main description of the show and finally guys thank you so much for spending time with me this week taking the time your most precious resource to be here with me and hear me rant and hear me go through my takes on the content of these chapters week by week. It means so much to me and I hope that I'm providing value to you. So as you go through this next week, as you read this chapter on decision, as you operate on a day-to-day basis, remember whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. We'll see you next week, everybody.